Hello again, everyone, moms and dads, boys and girls. Welcome to the 106th episode of the Chatter Podcast. We are cruising right along, we, aren't we? We sure are. We've got a great, uh, we got a full house. Brad we Markham's do. in the house. I love it. Hello. You're, you're back. I'm back. Missed you. Well, missed being here. Hugh Owen is, is in the house, and Hugh was on the air earlier in the year, and we'll have Brad bring us up to date when we uh, finish after in, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious, gracious Virgin, Virgin Mary, Mary that, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly into thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We'll, Amen. We're going to air right before Thanksgiving. That's right. I'm happy to say. A lot to be thankful for. For the 25th year in a row. Yep, say it. Say the word. The turducken has returned. I've never known anyone about the turducken except you. You're coming. Well, maybe. Yeah, if you're you coming. It, if you make enough. What What day? Thanksgiving Day? Or? No, 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 no. I think we should do it. We, actually, we should do it on Monday the 20th or we something should. like that. We should. We'll be here. We're going to do that? Let me know. We'll oh, see what the schedule. Oh, before Thanksgiving. Yeah. The 20th, huh? What do you think of that? Beautiful. We're brought to you by Hot Works out on Holiday Drive in Dubuque. The only Hot Works in the world on Holiday Drive with... Two L's. Two we L's. have got to find out the story behind that. We're going we're gonna to do that. Brad Markham is in the house. It's good to have you. It's been... Uh, you took yeah. the summer off. You haven't yeah. been here since spring. I know. Kids keep you busy. That they, they do. do. Yeah. And they are growing and doing all kinds of things. Yep, yep. So. And we've got a returning uh, guest here. I'm gonna I'm gonna did, turn I don't know it if over. We ever to had you. Hugh? Did we have him on the chatter? I don't. We did. I don't know that we did. We had an interview with him outside of the chatter, but we'll have to go back oh. check the uh, archives, huh? I'm sure our awesome producer Rob will probably know better than we do. So all yours, Brad. Yeah. So I found Hugh years. Well, what was it? Maybe two years ago, Tom. I started I talking think it's about two the years. Colby Center. Yeah. Um, and it was actually searching for some information on St. Maximilian Colby. Yeah. Um, so I w- let's get started with just asking Hugh about the genesis of the Colby Center for Creation, um, how he got interested in the study of creation, and how did you find the like-minded scientists that were interested in taking a second look at the evolutionary theory just like you have been doing? Well, certainly. Well, it really goes back to my grandfather... He was a, a Baptist minister in Wales, and um, my father was brought up in a very devout, conservative Baptist home. But when my father went to university, he went to university in England, which was much more progressive than Wales, and in university in England, his professors told him that we didn't need the fairy tales in the book of Genesis anymore because science could explain everything. Evolution could explain the origins of man and the universe without God, without any supernatural agency. And so in the late 20s, early 30s, like millions of other people then and now, my dad was completely robbed of his faith in traditional Christianity 
and became a secular humanist. And then being an idealistic person from his Baptist upbringing, he went to work for the United Nations at the very beginning and uh, became an assistant secretary general, then co-administrator of the United Nations Development Program. And after 25 years with the UN, he was knighted by the Queen of England who just died and retired. But when he retired, he was rather disillusioned because he looked at the world and he saw that all the problems of the world were much worse than when the United Nations was started. Oh so why was that? Wow. And uh, he turned to the intelligentsia that he knew and they had the answer. They said that the reason the UN isn't making headway in solving the world's problems is it's not going to the root of all the world's problems, which they said was overpopulation. Mm. That's why we have wars and economic and social injustice and pollution, all these problems. Cut down on the number of people, then we'll have enough to go around. Mm -hmm. All the problems mm -hmm. will be solved. And so my dad accepted to become the first ever Secretary General of International Planned Parenthood Federation at the very time wow. when IPPF changed its position on abortion and became the world's number one promoter of abortion as well as contraception and sex education. And he held that position for just about a year when he died unexpectedly of a heart attack when I was just 16 years old. Hmm. Now, it, it, it was his death that precipitated my conversion to the Catholic faith because even though I had been brought up with no prayer, no Bible, no church, after my father died, I received the gift of faith. And less than two years after his death, I was baptized, confirmed, and made my first Holy Communion as a Catholic in the Princeton University Chapel, where I was enrolled as a freshman. Where's this at? Princeton? Princeton, New Jersey. New Jersey. Mm. Okay. Princeton University. About what, year, about what year, what time frame are we talking here, Hugh? That was 1972 at the Easter Vigil when I was 18 years old. So your father and was Welsh, but he came to the this United States because of his work with the UN. Is that is that how you got to the United States? Yes, and he okay. also married my mother, who was American. Mm -hmm. okay. But you see, when I came into the church, the chaplains at Princeton University were Jesuit priests. I'm so and sorry. And they gave me a book so that I could learn the doctrines of the faith. It was the Bal the, the so-called Dutch Catechism. There's but a new one. I don't have that. that. I don't have that That's one. That's one I have well, not seen. Col Colleen uh, just a, turned uh, green. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that's a bad one. It's We call it the Dutch Cataclysm. This is the book that practically annihilated the Catholic faith oh my. in the Netherlands, which once had a very vibrant Catholic community sure. that sent a huge number of missionaries all over the world, including here to the U.S., who gave their lives to spread the true faith. But you see, there's a theme mm -hmm. that runs through the Dutch cataclysm, and it's this. It's that we live in a scientific age, 
and science has enlightened us to understand everything in our faith in a new and deeper way. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But then with that as the theme, Father Schillebex and company proceed to sow wow. doubt in the mind of the reader about everything you can imagine, from the existence of angels, the reality <coughs> of Satan, the historical reality of Adam and Eve, original sin, the virgin birth of Christ, his bodily resurrection, and on and on. Now, so it's a miracle that I survived the Dutch cataclysm and came into the church at all. Mm-hmm. Well, that was my that question. Was what I, yeah, yeah, that's what I was wondering, too. Did you get that before you came into the church, or once you came into the church, did they give you that? No, no I, I got it before, but you see, there was somewhere in the depth of my soul, I never could accept this idea that science would learn anything that's true that would contradict any of the teachings that had been handed down from the apostles. Hmm. And over time, as I came into contact with the true face of the Catholic Church, I was delighted to discover that at the very time that my father was being robbed of his faith in Christianity because there was nobody in his environment to tell him the other side of the story about evolution, St. Maximilian Kolbe was writing articles and sending them all over the world Hmm. showing that the emperor of evolution was not wearing any clothes, Hmm. that there actually wasn't any sound scientific evidence for this idea that matter came alive and turned into all the different kinds of plants and animals Mm -hmm. and finally into humans through the same material processes that are going on now. And so eventually, with the encouragement of my pastor, in the Jubilee year 2000, we founded the Kolbe Center for the Study of Creation to provide a forum for Catholic theologians, philosophers, and natural scientists all over the world who held fast to the traditional Catholic doctrine of creation and who rejected the molecules to man evolution hypothesis in its theistic as well as in its atheistic form. Wow, wow. Colleen, this reminds me, we had Rick Merfeld on last week, and mm-hmm. he saw the bumper sticker here in Dubuque. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hugh, the, the bumper sticker reads, Science is the Vaccine for Christianity. Really? And here in River City, and uh, as I'm listening to the story of you and your your father and uh, all of that uh, it just is just as amazing but the last time i checked brad markham it's the theory of evolution yeah and i was going to bring that up because the last time we talked to the colby center and there yeah, i think there was a few members of the board including Hugh, they were hesitant to even call it theory they said maybe hypothesis is even a better way to talk sure, about it sure um so, Hugh, maybe you want to comment on how it's more of a hypothesis that because there's so many gaps in, in the science itself. Um. A- absolutely. The, the molecules to man evolution myth, as we would call it, certainly does not deserve to be called a theory because that would imply that the hypothesis has been confirmed, whereas um. in reality... To this day, there's never been any sound scientific evidence to confirm 
the molecules to man evolutionary hypothesis. In fact, I, I think one is being very generous in even calling it a hypothesis. It really deserves to be called more of a, a conjecture. Um, and as we go on in our discussion, I'll be able to show some of the ways that again and again and again there's been this claim that a certain body of evidence proves that the molecules to man evolution hypothesis is true. He'll give us a then, give, give us a working definition for that. I think some of us are getting it, but I'm not sure everybody understands molecules to man. Um, yes, so bring, bring that down for that, us. Absolutely, it's it's just the idea that that matter turned into a living cell through material processes, not with any kind of supernatural act of creation, and then through the same material processes that are going on now, that original one-celled organism turned into all the different kinds of living things through a natural process, through the same material processes that are going on now. Mm-hmm. That's what the hypothesis claims. But all the evidence that has ever been put forward in support of that claim has been thoroughly debunked. So just hit the pause button there for a moment. So you're saying, just to uh, recap this or give some clarity to it, you're saying one-cell organisms, so you're talking amoebas and, and bacteria and, and whatever, in some swamp water became a... Uh, some plankton became a, a, a vegetable, became a fish. Became what? What examples do the evolution theory or the evolutionist provide? Should, can they show us an example of any of those um, evolutionary steps, leaps, jumps? Let me give you the example that was used to deceive most of the Catholic intellectuals in this country into thinking that they had to reconcile the Catholic faith with sure. evolution. Okay. And this is very well documented what on era, our website. What era is this, Hugh? This is the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th century. So 120, 130 years ago? Beginning then, yeah. and then uh, continuing for decades. Okay. What what many people in the audience probably do not know is that the leadership of the church from the Pope down completely rejected Darwin's evolutionary hypothesis for many decades Mm -hmm. before the tide turned. In fact, almost 20 years after Darwin published Origin of Species, the Congregation of the Index, which was an arm of the Magisterium, mm-hmm. examined a book by a theologian named Caverni, whose thesis was, quote, it is possible to reconcile evolution with the Christian faith. And the verdict of the theologians in the congregation who examined the book is no. In the words of Cardinal Ziliara, it is not possible because Darwin's theory 
destroys the foundations of revelation. So the teaching authority of the church was very clear that Catholic intellectuals were not to propagate this hypothesis. But over here in the United States at Notre Dame University, a very brilliant intellectual named Father John Augustine Zahm mm -hmm. defied the Congregation of the Index and the directives of the Pope and published a book called Evolution and Dogma in which he argued that there's so much evidence for this hypothesis that a one-celled organism turned into a human body through all a natural process of evolution, we've simply got to reconcile the faith with it. And do you know what his main evidence is in that book? I'm dying to know. His, his main evidence is the drawings of the German anatomist Ernst Haeckel, who drew a human embryo, copied it, and said that that was the embryo of the pig, the chicken, the turtle, the fish, <laughs> and the salamander at the same stage of development. Wow. As hard as it may be for you to believe this, we have proven that it was this that was the main quote-unquote proof that convinced brilliant intellectuals like Father Zahm that this evolutionary hypothesis was confirmed. And yet, it was totally bogus. Wow. In reality, Heckel was a fraud. In fact, initially, he was called out for fraud by his own academic peers. But instead of being booted out of academia, which is what should have happened to him, he just modified his drawings ever so slightly, and they went into the biology textbooks where they remain to this day. Wow. Now... <laughs> Hugh, we're uh, bumping up. Yes. We're, we're going to hold you over. We're bumping up against the break. Our guest is Hugh Owen. He is from the Colby Center. And i got to say, with that uh, opening story and your, uh, and your accent there, Hugh, you remind me, and, and Brad Markham's going to get me again because this is a movie before he was born, but How Green Is My Valley with the oh, coal yes. miners of, uh, of, of, well, of Wales over there. I know. Indeed. Brad, it's a good I'm movie. I'm always lost. Okay, when he I'll, talks movies, I'm always lost. Right. I need anyway, to go watch anyway, I, how, how green is thy valley? We'll be right back after these announcements on the Chatter podcast on FM 98.3 KCRD. back this is the chatter podcast episode 106 and we are brought to you by our good friends over at hot works on holiday drive colleen mm -hmm. great stuff here how do we get more information boy it is great stuff and while we were chatting with hugh i was going on the website um to look things up so uh the website for the colby center is colbycenter.org but Hugh also has, there's a website called foundationsrestored.com, a Catholic perspective on origins. So Foundations Restored with a couple of free videos. Is that what you were saying, Hugh? Yes, it's the, anybody can watch 
the first two episodes of our DVD series, Foundations Restored, which is the most complete defense of the traditional Catholic doctrine of creation from the perspective of theology, philosophy, and natural science that mm-hmm. has ever been produced in the video medium. Oh, I'm going there to watch it. And this is, just to be clear, because we have some people across the river here, this is Colby, K-O-L-B-E, not Colby Cheese, C-O-L-B-Y. So Good point. Could, Wisconsin the is one mile you know, away. So, Colby the Saint. Yeah, Colby the Saint, Maximilian Colby, K-O-L-B-E Center dot org. org. And the, those uh, first two episodes are on foundationsrestored.com. So everybody should go watch those first two episodes. So, Hugh, in our conversations leading up to this, you had mentioned that, you know, we've talked about how this theory should, evolutionary theory should not really be called theory and more better stated as hypothesis or or myth. Um, But in our conversations leading up to this, you had mentioned that you see how that it slowed scientific progress and it has done considerable damage to biblical scholarship. So I'm wondering if you could just enlighten our audience on, on those two points. Certainly. The first thing I'd like to point out is that in the history of this country, uh, there was a man who was perhaps uh, the most effective lay apologist for the Catholic faith in our history. His name was Orestes Brownson. He was a self-educated genius who became part of the elite group of intellectuals in New England that included Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau. But Orestes Brownson shocked his fellow intellectuals when he converted to the Catholic faith. And he then proceeded to publish a journal where he gave a magnificent defense of the Catholic faith. And he was so effective that the bishops of the United States in synod signed a letter, all of them, congratulating him and thanking him for his work in defense of the Catholic faith. There were synods that did good things? (laughs) Sorry. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I'm just joking. And, uh, but what you need to know about Orestes Brownson is that when Darwin came out with his books, Origin of Species and then The Descent of Man, Brownson had his number from the beginning. And Brownson basically said to Darwin and his disciples, look, you are contradicting the wisdom of Christian civilization that has been in possession for almost 2,000 years. If you want us to take you seriously, it's not enough for you to tell us that it could have been like this or it might have been like that or it could have been the other way. You have to give us proof beyond a reasonable doubt or we should not even give you the time of day. Mm. I like this guy. If Orestes Brownson had been followed, if the church leadership and Catholic intellectuals generally had followed his lead, the world would be a totally different place today. Mm. But unfortunately, he was one of the few who saw that it was smoke and mirrors from the beginning. Hmm. And his example was not followed. Now, we are told again and again by people like Bill Nye, the science guy, Mm -hmm. that 
people who don't accept evolution are anti-science and we want to keep them out of our communities. But the reality is the acceptance of evolutionary speculation as fact is probably the greatest catastrophe that has ever happened to scientific and medical research. Because you see, the Catholic Church in the dogma of creation as defined in the authoritative teaching of the Church, for example, in the Catechism of the Council of Trent, tells us that God supernaturally created all the different kinds of creatures for us in our first parents, Adam and Eve, and that he created everything perfect in the beginning, and that it was only the original sin of Adam that brought human death and deformity and disease into this world. So the church gave us the most wonderful framework for doing scientific and medical research because the church told us that God created an orderly universe and that we can explore and investigate the universe that God created knowing that it's full of exquisite design that has been harmed but not destroyed by the effects of original sin. And that is the framework that leads to fruitful scientific and medical research. For example, Sir William Harvey, even after the Protestant Revolution, still worked within this framework that he had inherited from the Catholic Church. And he became the first person in recorded history to describe accurately the working of the circulatory system in the human body. Mm -hmm. When he was asked, how did you discover this? Do you know what he said? Hmm. He said, paraphrasing, I asked myself, why would God design the chambers of the heart, the veins, the arteries, all the different parts of the system the way that he did? And from that starting point, he formulated a hypothesis, tested it, confirmed it, and that's how he learned how the circulatory system works for the first time. Hmm. Now, in other words, within the framework that is given to us by the church and her teaching about how God created the world in the beginning, we have a presumption of stable form and function throughout the biosphere. What happens with Darwin and his disciples is they throw that out the window and they replace the presumption of stable form and function with a presumption of flux and dysfunction. Let me give you an example. At the infamous Scopes trial, where Clarence Darrow, the most famous attorney in the country, came to defend a physical education teacher who was put up by the ACLU to break the law that had been enacted by the Tennessee legislature to prohibit the teaching of human evolution in the public schools, Clarence Darrow deposed the leading evolutionist scientist in the United States Mm -hmm. to give him the most up-to-date proofs for the evolutionary hypothesis. And one of the scientists from the University of Chicago deposed that there were 180 structures in the human body 
that were useless holdovers from the millions of years of evolution. And included in that list was, for example, the vermiform appendix. Now, because of this presumption that any organ or structure in the body that we didn't understand, we could simply explain it as being a useless holdover of an earlier stage of evolution when it had some kind of useful function, prevented scientists from actually doing their job and trying to find out why this particular organ or structure had been created by God. And so, you see, the appendix went into the biology textbooks for many, many decades as an example of how evolution is true and how in our bodies we have many organs and structures that are useless holdovers from the millions of years of evolution. The problem is that, of course, the appendix is not useless. And in spite of this evolutionary mentality, eventually scientists and medical researchers had to face the fact that the appendix is actually a fully functional part of our immune system. Hmm. And the only reason why it can be removed from a human being who's reached a certain age or stage of development is because it, for, it performs its most important work in the very beginning of life when the child comes out of the protected environment of the mother's womb. But think about it. Decade after decade after decade, after this evolutionary conjecture was accepted by most scientists and medical researchers, people were coming into doctor's room, doctor's offices and hospitals with problems with their appendix. So what was the response of the typical doctor? Well, what do you expect? The appendix is just a useless holdover from an earlier stage of evolution. Let's just remove it since it's not doing anything useful anyway. What would have happened if those same doctors and medical researchers had held fast to the truth that God created us with all the organs and systems of the body that we currently have. Then they would have been asking themselves a different question. They would have been asking themselves, why is it that people who have an organ that was created by God for a specific function are now having all kinds of problems with this organ? And that would have led them to ask the really important question, which is, what is it about our lifestyle? What is it about our diet that is leading to this illness that is affecting an organ that is an integral part of our body? And sure enough, when Dr. Weston Price went all over the world staying with communities that had exceptional health and longevity, he found that these people had virtually no disease of the appendix because their healthy lifestyle, their healthy diet protected them from this disease. So here you see that the acceptance of the bogus molecules to man evolution mythology retarded scientific medical research and undoubtedly prevented scientists and medical researchers from discovering the true causes of diseases of the appendix. And I could give you many, many other examples. We don't have time. You know, you made me think of, I read a book, and I can't remember the title of it years ago, but they um, 
well Stanley Stanley Yaki was one of the one of the authors where he talked about uh, it was the Christian West where scientific progress happened and it was precisely because how you started this segment um, you know that there is this external reality that has purpose in it built into it and, and you kind of see inner contradictions within the scientific community now because they they talk with purpose-driven language all the time, but they deny overall purpose, which I think is, you know, from a philosophical perspective, um, troublesome. But absolutely, it's, it's incoherent. But you and the name of that book is "The Savior of Science" by Father Yaki. Okay, and there was one that it was I think it was a Protestant guy out of Baylor University, but he showed that I think it was eighty plus percent of you you name a scientific discovery in the last five hundred years and. 80 plus percent of them came from Christian believers. So, mm. absolutely. Um, but you had also mentioned um, how it impacted biblical scholarship. So I'm I'm curious if you can just talk through that a little bit. It's the mentality that prevails within evolutionary so-called science that has infected biblical scholarship, and I'll show you exactly what I mean. If scientists work within the framework of the true Catholic doctrine of creation as defined in the Catechism of Trent, for example, then the natural scientists will always presume stable form and function throughout the biosphere. So, for example, when he discovers that every little baby in the mother's womb has a transitory coat of hair, he won't conclude, like the famous evolutionary biologist, Dr. Jerry Coyne, that this hair must be a holdover from an earlier stage of evolution when we were swinging from the trees and were covered with hair because it's 98.6 degrees in the mother's womb and therefore the lanugo, this temporary coat of hair, couldn't possibly have any useful purpose. No. The scientists working within the framework that is given to us by the true Catholic doctrine of creation is going to say, I don't understand why the baby in the mother's womb has this transitory coat of hair, but I know that God gave it to the baby in the womb for a reason. And so he would, he would investigate and would eventually discover what we now know, which is that that transitory coat of hair holds the vernix cassiosa, this cheesy varnish that looks kind of like yogurt, on the baby's skin, which protects the baby from the amniotic fluid in the mother's womb and helps mom to push the baby out. You see? That is really fascinating. You know, I, I'm really liking the idea of taking um, what is as created by God and using that as the jumping off point instead of and 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 then asking some good questions um like the hair on the unborn's head and then taking that as your starting point because otherwise if you take this um the evolutionary uh conjecture your trajectory will be way off and you won't even be ans asking the right questions exactly so that's fa i think that's fascinating and i can even hear as you talk about these different things like the appendix how asking the right question is crucial, and if yes. we if we don't hold to um, you know creation by God, 
um, boy, then we're really don't even know where to what questions to ask. No. You were going to come into a break here, but when we come back, I want to ask the question that I think is on a lot of people's minds is if this scientific theory and process is so uh, poorly crafted, as, as you're beginning to indicate, where do we go from here and why have we been, for the last 120 or 100, 200 years, uh, been slaves to this? We'll, we'll ask those questions when we come back here on the chatter on FM 98.3 KCRD. We're back. This is the Chatter Podcast, our 106th episode. You can hear us everywhere on, on the KCRD mobile app. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday mm-hmm. on FM 98.3 KCRD. Do you mm-hmm. remember the times? I do. Is this a quiz? Yes. Okay. Pop quiz. Friday's at 1 o'clock. Yes. Saturday's at 1 o'clock. Yes. Sunday's at 6 o'clock. You get a PM. free PM. coffee mug. That's great. There you go. You know, we are having a fascinating conversation. Isn't with this wonderful? Hugh Owen of the Colby Center. Um, if anyone is joining us late, this is really a fascinating conversation, and I would encourage everyone to go to the website, colbycenter.org, and that's spelled K-O-L-B-E center.org, and check out um, Hugh and his um, fellow workers there. And then also go to foundationsrestored.com and watch the uh, first two episodes they've got loaded up there for free. But this is a fascinating conversation about evolution and creation and um, just how far down the road we've gotten. So, Brad, set us up here. We, we, how do we get out of this tyranny? Well, that's where, you know, it was a question I had is critiquing the evolutionary hypothesis or even heliocentrism gets one laughed out of or mocked out of the halls of academia these days. I mean, I've read you know, things about, like, Tycho Bray, who has a geocentric cosmology mm-hmm. um, in comparison to Copernicus's heliocentric model. And even what... D- define those two things. Uh, what, the heliocentrism versus geocentrism? So right. heliocentrism is just that the sun is at the center of the universe and the, the earth rotates around the sun. Geocentrism, se- sorry, center of the, um, not universe, but... Um, solar system. Solar system. Uh, and geocentrism says... The Earth is the center of the universe, and that uh, everything rotates around the Earth. But a guy like me doesn't have the the skills or the tools that, of physics to be able to understand which I, model is correct. As I've said or not. before, you don't get this kind of radio up and down the dock. <laughs> That's for sure. So then you get, you know, the scientific consensus right now is that heliocentrism is the way, and that the evolutionary quote unquote theory is the way. Uh, so what are Catholics like us who who c- can be termed young earth creationists, which the Colby Center turned me into on reading their, their research. Um, but that said, what how do we crack the code here, uh, Hugh, to get at least get an, uh, an audience with modern academia? You got 15 minutes to clear up all of the <laughs> heresies of uh, <laughs> evolution. Go ahead, Hugh. Go. Well, the, the first thing I'd like to mention, it might not seem to be relevant, but it's very relevant, is did you know that there's only been one fully church-approved apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the entire history of the United States? 
That was in Champion, Wisconsin. Right, right up the road. Not far from us. And and it took place six weeks before Darwin published his book, Origin of Species. That is not a coincidence. Hmm. What do you make of that? Because when, when the Blessed Mother appeared to Adele Brees, Adele Brees was an 18-year-old Belgian immigrant. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the Blessed Mother gave her a commission. She said, teach the children the catechism. Because there were thousands of Catholic immigrant children running around like savages with nobody to teach them the basic doctrines of the faith. Now, in God's providence, the bishops of the U.S. in Synod had met a few years earlier in Baltimore and decided there had to be a catechism for the church in the United States, and it was to be modeled on the Catechism of St. Robert Bellarmine. And that, of course, became the Baltimore Catechism. Mm -hmm. Well, in St. Robert Bellarmine's Catechism, he teaches categorically, just as the Catechism of Trent did, that God created everything supernaturally in six days. And so the Baltimore Catechism, which Adele Breeze used to teach the faith to young people, for the rest of her life, taught that God created everything supernaturally in six days. Now, I want everyone in the audience to think about two questions. Number one, when, well, before I ask the questions, there's something else I need to say first. You see, St. Robert Bellarmine, in his catechetical writings, made a very, very important point. And please, everybody, take this one to heart. He points out that there are mysteries in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that we cannot fully comprehend, but we accept them on the authority of God revealing. And here he gives an example. This is very important. He says, we believe that God became man in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mm -hmm. even though we recognize that there was nothing in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary that had any natural power to produce the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is very important. He then says, in the same way, we are told in the sacred history of Genesis that on the third day of creation week, God made all the different kinds of plants spring up out of the ground when there were no seeds in the ground. And he says, we must believe that God made all the different kinds of plants spring up out of the ground when there were no seeds in the ground by his divine power with exactly the same faith with which we believe that God became man in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which had no natural power to produce his sacred humanity. Well, that's a great analogy because the seed of the woman, right? The seed of the plants. That's a great that's a great way to remember it, Hugh. What St. Bellarmine Well, and, and here's the thing that he's that he's really getting to is that if we tell our young people, and this is what we've been doing for the last 50-60 years, we believe that our Lord took flesh in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Why do we believe that? Because God revealed it. 
But then we say, oh, but in Genesis, well, now science has learned many things that have helped us to understand that it didn't really happen that way. What if we just taught the young people? By telling them that, we are teaching them that the highest authority is not the Word of God as it was understood in God's Holy Catholic Church from the beginning. We are teaching them that the highest authority is fallible consensus science. That's the highest authority. And that is a total disaster because that's the very conditioning that led to the situation during Coronamania where you had charlatans like Tony Fauci telling successors of the apostles if they could open the church, when they could open their church, if they could give the sacraments, how they could give the sacraments. This would never have been possible if there hadn't been decade after decade after decade of conditioning to submit God's truth to the judgment of fallible human consensus science. Well, that's now, you're right, because what was the big phrase during that whole time was trust the science. And yet the same people who were saying trust the science were in favor of abortion because they said it's just a clump of cells. And you right. think, trust Ex the science. So you could tell exactly. that there was something off there. And, and now, here I want to give my two questions. When the Blessed Virgin Mary came down, in this totally 100% church-approved apparition. You're talking up here did in Wisconsin, up here in Wisconsin. Right there in Champion, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Did the Blessed Virgin Mary know how and over what period of time God created the world? Of course she did. She had the beatific vision. Mm -hmm. What she knew in God was the same thing that she had learned from her parents, St. Anne and St. Joachim, mm -hmm. from the sacred history of Genesis. Question number two. Would our Blessed Mother come down to earth and tell Adele Breeze to teach anything to her children that was not 100% true? It's impossible. Absolutely mm -hmm. impossible. Mm -hmm. So what we have to realize is if evolution is true, and I've only gotten started showing you that it's a total fraud, then that would mean that God and the Blessed Mother allowed the Holy Catholic Church to teach a totally false account of the origins of man in the universe for almost 2,000 years, and then instead of raising up Catholic saints and scholars to enlighten us, they had to raise up godless men like Darwin and T.H. Huxley and Ernst Haeckel to enlighten our church leaders so that they could finally understand how God actually created the world. Hmm. Yeah. If you just think about it in those terms, you can see that we've been scammed yeah. in the most colossal con job probably in the entire history of mankind. You know, so what are we going to do about it? What we're going to do about it is exemplified in the story of Daniel and Susanna. Look it up. It's not in the Protestant abridged Bible. It's the story of how St. Daniel, at the age of about 16 years old, calls out the corrupt teachers, elders, judges of his people when they falsely accuse 
the chaste wife Susanna of impurity and adultery so that she's going to be stoned to death as an adulteress. Mm -hmm. And St. Daniel stands alone as a 16-year-old boy, cross-examines these corrupt elders, exposes their lies, and vindicates Susanna. This is what needs to happen. We need to give the truth to our young people who have not yet been totally brainwashed. And then they, and we are already seeing it happen, armed with the truth, they will totally dismantle this tissue of lies and fabrications, and they will restore the true doctrine of creation as the foundation of our faith and as the only firm foundation for a culture of life. My brothers and sisters, I have seen teenage boys totally destroy the arguments of PhD level scientists once they are armed with this truth. And you can arm them with the truth even if your Catholic school or parish or Catholic college or university will not allow them to be taught that. You can do it by simply obtaining the DVD series Foundations Restored with the excellent teacher's guide and showing it in your home, in your homeschool co-op, in your private Catholic school, wherever you can get people to watch it. Because we have seen that it works. Hugh, Hugh we got we got to get to this. This has been on my mind for a few minutes. Last segment, and we've only got uh, four minutes left. Why? I mean, you're you're doing a uh, a brilliant job of presenting your case, but in a point counterpoint, uh, and you and I have off camera, off microphone talked about this. Um, the evolutionists don't seem to want to show up when you want to talk about this. Is that a true statement? It is a true statement. What, go go deeper on years. that. Go, go deeper on that. Why isn't there an um, engagement and a dialogue on, on point and counterpoint? Well, there, there are a couple of reasons. One is that I believe that most theistic evolutionists when they meet somebody that's actually informed, realize that they don't have a very good case and they don't actually want it, the case that they have to be subjected to scrutiny. But there's another reason, and this is perhaps more significant, and that is that in academia, and unfortunately this is pretty much true as true in Catholic academia as it is in secular academia. Any questioning of evolution will bring a tremendous persecution. Yeah, even but can't, to the extent can't they stand on the merits of their findings? Isn't, don't they have an overwhelming preponderance of evidence to be able to refute what you're saying? You would think so, but then again, why is it that it's almost impossible for us to find the ones that will, are willing to have a debate? You would think that they want to embarrass you. Mm-hmm. Yes, you would mm-hmm. think so. Mm-hmm. But they don't. No. But the, the thing that I think is important to understand in terms of the work of the Kobe Center is that our mission 
is not to the atheists and the unbelievers. We will gladly interact with them and try to help them to come to the fullness of the truth anytime. Our mission is to Catholics because we have been given God's revelation of how he created the world as it has been defined at a very high level of authority. And when we abandon that teaching, we are literally taking the foundations out from under our faith. That's why we have a mass exodus of young people out of the Catholic Church. So we are not so concerned about debating atheistic evolutionists. We are concerned about having debates with Catholic theistic evolutionists to show them that there is absolutely no justification for abandoning the traditional teaching of the church on creation because and this is the last thing I may have time to say there's a principle in the church which is the onus probandi the burden of proof if you have a defined doctrine like the resurrection mm -hmm. and somebody comes and says look we found a body in Jerusalem and we think this is the body of of Jesus and it shows that the resurrection never happened where is the burden of proof obviously the burden of proof is on these claimants who say that they found the body of our Lord we do not immediately say oh so the consensus in science is that they really found the body of Jesus I guess we'd better suspend belief in the resurrection until we determine whether they're right that's the way we've been operating it and it's totally perverse our primary mission is to restore the right order of the sciences within the catholic community saint thomas spells it out theology is a divine science the queen of the sciences philosophy is her handmaid the natural sciences and all the other sciences should be subordinated to theology but what has happened in the last 100 years, and especially in the last 50, 60 years, is that our own most highly educated people, for the most part, with some exceptions, have allowed fallible human natural scientists to exalt their authority over the authority of the Word of God as it's been understood in the church from the beginning. And that's the fundamental disorder that has to be corrected so that we can get our own house in order, then we'll be able to go out into the world and convert the atheists, no problem. Well, and I think you're right about giving the truth to young people and starting there with the young people because that is exactly the game plan of the communists and the Marxists and the drag show um, people. They're all going after the children. And I think to try to talk to adults about you know evolution and and creation I think so many adults have just been told one thing that they separate science and faith and they can't reconcile the two but when you have a young mind and can present the truth to them and maybe that's why Our Lady told um, sister Ad what was her name Adele no Adele Breeze yeah, Adele Breeze teach Adele. the children the catechism yes very good here we're out of time it's been a pleasure. We're going to have you back. Brad Markham will do that. Brad Markham's in the house. Hugh Owen from the colbycenter.org is our guest today on The Chatter, and this will air 
the weekend before Thanksgiving, which will make some of the greatest conversation ever at Thanksgiving dinner 2023. <laughs> Good point. We're all out of time on this 106th episode of the Chatter Podcast. Thanks to everybody at Hotworks. And we end in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be Amen. to the Father and to the Son, Son and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as, as it was, was in the beginning, beginning is, is now, and ever shall be, world without, without end. end. Amen. Tune in again next Amen. week. We love you.